that is still proudly covered by the manufacturer's warranty three long years after you took it out of the box. And now here are the hosts who never need repair, only minor tune-ups from time to time, Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg. Hello, everybody. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Allie and I are performers. We had a show, a live comedy show called Blogologues, where we use the internet as our script. We then interview people behind the post, went on scripted adventures in a web series we made called Two Girls, One Show. And here we are with Two Girls, One Podcast. We are making this with The Daily Dot and our producer, Matt. Hi, Matt. Hello. Hello. And in this here podcast, we're talking to people behind internet phenomena and communities that we find, you know, really uh, interesting, relevant. You hopefully will find relevant too. Today's topic, in fact, was suggested by a listener from the show. So, Ali, who was that and what was that all about? Almost surely. At Almost Surely, you can you can go into our Discord, discord.gg slash 2G1P. You can suggest topics. You can chat it up with other listeners. But the right to repair is the fact that companies make it really difficult to repair your own fucking technology and then you have to buy new technology that maybe you don't even want. And so apparently there's a whole movement called the right to repair, which I was pretty excited to find out about. It's I'm exciting. excited to learn more about it. That's right. We're talking today to Steve Porter, who is a fixer, and he has an online presence, a big one on YouTube. He has over 700,000 subscribers on his YouTube channel, Tronics Fix, where he teaches you basically how to fix devices and, uh, you know, right to repair. It is a consumer protection movement. And I we believe the more you learn about it, the more you are also going to be very interested and want to get behind it, too. So stay tuned for that. Well, friends, I have some breaking news in quarantine that I'd like to share. I've had enough breaking news lately, actually. It's a valid point. So <laughs> this we'll is positive on. news. Though. We'll no, this is very positive. It's not. Yeah, Jen, Jen knows. Matt doesn't know. But it's okay, know. so speaking of, um, I don't know, big corporations and consumers, I suppose. This is only tangentially related to today's topic, <laughs> but it's big news. It's big news. If you've been listening for a long time, you're going to know it's big. I have broken up with Trader Joe. <gasps> I know. What? I know. I know. And I even wrote a letter to Joe because I'm that weird. I really you did. did. I did. I did. Okay. So I was in New York and I was watching my beautiful state of California burn and it's still burning. It's just burning and burning. And I was like, you know what? I need to be better and we all need to be better and I need to get rid of all of my single use plastic as much as humanly possible. It's it's actually crazy how hard it is to get rid of plastic in your yes. life. And I need to do some things. So I there's several things I've done. I got uh, bamboo toilet paper. People apparently bamboo to bamboo toilet paper is way better for the world than regular toilet paper. So that's uh -huh, an easy nice. switch you can make. It sounds okay. rough. Um, <laughs> it does. It, just, it, it just does. Just sticks. Mine actually just came in today, so I'll report back on the state of my asshole in a week. <laughs> Please do. But um, no, because because bamboo regrows, and apparently it's like super needs... renewable, right? Yeah, exactly. So we got that. That arrived today. I got 
beeswax. I will not be using saran wrap anymore. I got silicone bags instead of Ziploc bags. And mm. then, oh, and I also got, I bought, um, there's a service where you can get tablets that you put into the old bottle of cleaner and just add water. So there's not like the shipping and mm. fossil fuels with the shipping of these huge containers of cleaning supplies. And also, mm. um, you know, everyone's just buying more plastic bottles of cleaning supplies. So I've been doing a lot of stuff, looking into more things I can do. And then I walked into my beloved Trader Joe's and what did I see but rows and rows of plastic. All they the wrap plastic. everything. They wrap their, their spinach leaves, everything, their <laughs> cucumbers. Everything oh, is wow. individually wrapped in plastic. Mm-hmm. Everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I can't do this. I can't do this. So I've been doing imperfect foods for a little while, actually, in quarantine. But now I'm making it my primary source of groceries. And that's zero plastic. Is that right? Almost none. You know, of course, if you get berries, they still come in a little plastic fucking cart. But they, yeah, well, the thing about imperfect foods, and I hear Misfits Market is the big one on the East Coast, is that so much food is thrown away just because it's... It looks a little funny, you know, just because that mm-hmm. turnip is sexy. Google it. Turnips are really sexy. They like often mm-hmm. have look like they have these legs. It's pretty awesome. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> there's so much stuff that just like couldn't get sold on shelves. And in California, sometimes the reason it's not sold is literally surplus. It's just surplus and they mm-hmm. can't sell it in the stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just throw it in a box like it's not separated by bags or whatever. And like, yes, sometimes my artichoke is like thrown up with my peaches, but turns out I can tell the difference between an artichoke and a peach. So I'm okay, you know, but, uh, yeah, so I've made it my primary source of groceries now and I miss, I miss Joe already. I do. I miss Joe. I miss the, miss the prepackaged shit. I have to learn to cook now. It's fucking terrible. I was going to say, like, I (laughs) well, I know that you relied sometimes on like prepackaged meals, things that you could heat up quickly when you were working. So are you just cooking for yourself now? Yeah, I'm cooking for myself, which is much easier in quarantine, of course, because I can just like cook for the week and then reheat for lunch. But, you know, it might be different when the world opens back up. But um, but I don't know. I heard Trader Joe's is trying to reduce its plastic. So I signed a petition and I wrote a letter saying, you know, I love you and I'd love to come back to you. But I need you to reduce your plastic because it's insane. And also so, other local grocery stores are better. Like you go to a normal grocery store and the produce is not individually wrapped in plastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have not been to Trader Joe's in probably at least nine months, but maybe a year. And I don't miss it. But I I'll, miss it. But Okay, okay you'll get <laughs> can't a, do I, it. I'll get it. Mean, but you, you know, I'm like, still going to go occasionally because there's like a lot of sauces and stuff that, you know, it's uh, that you can't get that in any better packaging. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I was going to say you can you can't buy your staples week to week, but you can make purchases at Trader Joe's that do not. Yeah. And I'll still visit Joe once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll say mm-hmm. hi. We'll grab a yeah. coffee kind of thing. But right. um, so, I, yeah. you know, I don't want to draw back too many painful memories. But like, what did you say to Joe when you broke up with him? Like just pretending it was happening right now. No, I no, I literally wrote a letter. You can like write a letter. There's a site that lets you like write a letter to the CEO. I don't know if they ever fucking see it or read it, but I was like, hey, Joe, I love you so much. I can't wait to come back to you, but I need you to reduce your plastic in order for us to be together. That is what I wrote. So w- what I'm hearing is like you were too chicken to do it face to face, so you uh, sent a message and then ghosted. How to break up? Matthew, there's a pandemic. I couldn't. I couldn't see him 
face to face. Also, he wouldn't answer my calls. It's not my fault. This does remind me of my dating life, though. There are times where it's like I don't want to end things by text, but like he won't answer my calls. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to end this by text then. You know, I hope you hear back. You do have to let us know. Obviously, <sighs> I'll let you know. Tell me more just briefly about Imperfect Foods. This is an order online thing. Yep. It's an order online, online. and they source Amazing. from over the around the country. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, so done. it's actually done, done. yeah, it's great for quarantine as well. It is delivered in a box, and they are taking the stuff that farmers cannot sell in grocery stores mm-hmm. and giving it direct to the consumer. So supposedly, it's also cheaper to order from there because. You know, it's stuff that's going to get thrown out. So it's offered at a discount. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Everyone should do it. And you should use my referral code. So I get $10 and you get $10. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N underscore 7908. Apparently that is my mm-hmm. referral link. So everybody, mm-hmm. that's going to be really fun for me, actually, if listeners do it. And I just keep getting 10 bucks and they get 10 bucks i was surprised it was not ali g 420 xxx which is your usual <laughs> matt i wasn't allowed to customize it <laughs> they auto generated this shit obviously because that is my password to everything actually is yeah correct that is ali g xxx i'm mostly <laughs> disappointed that you dropped this huge news on us and i did not have any sound effects queued up so can you just <laughs> say gotcha. just say like, hey, uh, big news. I just broke up with Trader Joe's. Just give it to me one more time. I'm breaking up with Trader Joe. Uh, what? What do you think? <laughs> that worked really well. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, let's repair this episode with some trivia. Okay, let's do it. Today's episode is about repairs. Speaking of them, Dr. Felix Ray made some repairs of his own that, in hindsight, were a very bad idea. One of these scenarios is a true story. The other two I made up. What was Dr. Ray's repair job gone horribly wrong? A. Dr. Ray treated Vincent Van Gogh after the artist cut off his own ear with a razor blade. As a thank you gift, Van Gogh painted a portrait of Dr. Ray, but the doctor didn't care for it. He didn't like the way he looked in the portrait. Uh, Instead of hanging it up or putting it in storage, he used it to repair a chicken coop. And then later he gave the painting away. Today, that painting is worth $50 million. That's choice A. B. Dr. Ray made a house call to treat Norma Jean Mortensen, who is in bed with the flu. During their conversation, Dr. Ray lamented that his curtains were ripped up, they were shredded, they needed repair. Norma Jean generously insisted that he take home a pile of white fabric from her table. He did take it home. He repaired the curtains. Two days later, he got an angry call from the wardrobe department at 20th Century Fox, who demanded that the fabric be returned to the movie studio so that it could be turned into the iconic white dress for that generous patient. Marilyn Monroe, at last auction in 2011, those curtains, which were turned into a dress, sold for $5.6 million. That's choice Mm. B. Choice C, get ready. Mm -hmm. Dr. Ray checked in with his patient, Nolan Bushnell, 
after a nasty bout of pneumonia. Bushnell was doing just fine and was already back to work at his office. Both men were very technical guys, much like our guest today. Uh, Dr. Ray was using a very newfangled Commodore PET personal electronic transactor in his medical office to keep track of patient files and billing and such. This was very revolutionary at the time. Uh, but the computer was on the fritz due to a defective motherboard. Dr. Ray asked if he could take a spare motherboard from the pile that was on Bushnell's workbench. Bushnell warned him. He said, no, that's not going to be compatible. But Dr. Ray took it anyway. Uh, Ray installed the incompatible motherboard and completely fried his computer. That's because he was connecting a prototype for the Atari 2600, the video game console that Bushnell's company would later release that year in 1977. There were only six Atari motherboard prototypes ever created, two of which are known to still exist and which have recently sold at auction for $430,000. That is choice C. So which messed up repair did Dr. Ray do? What the heck? <laughs> yeah, I have you no made idea. Up, you made up two of these? Matt, you should yes. write movie scripts. <laughs> <laughs> They're so vivid. I'm going to guess he really did Marilyn Monroe's okay. curtains. All right. Jen goes with B. Mm, I was going to go dress. with B, but I will diversify with C. Allie goes with C the Atari motherboard, no one is choosing the Van Gogh portrait used as a chicken coop nah, wall. Nah, fuck that guy! Yeah. <laughs> Another angry white man cutting out his own fucking ear? Another one. What's wrong with him? <laughs> <laughs> we will find out after this commercial break. You know who needs no repairing? <laughs> I think I know where you're going with this, but who might that be? Our Patreon supporters. They are perfect oh, as true. they are. Yes, yes. No need to be fixed at all. Thank you so much for being perfect in every way and contributing at the $10 level or more. Chris Harrison. Jerry Duran. <laughs> Jessica Fox. Melissa Elliott. James Dozier. Christopher Latch. Kathy Phillips. William. And Matthew Scott. You're all the apples of our eyes. <laughs> but, if you, you. But, but if you do need an, a new battery, just let us know. And now a real advertisement entitled IKEA Lamp from the number one website for buying IKEA furniture. That isn't IKEA.com. Craigslist. Let's be real. It's a dark time right now. You may find yourself wondering whether there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I have great news for you. There is. This lamp is tall enough that you can position it at or near the end of any tunnels you may find, but not so tall that it can get stuck inside the tunnel. We also have some mining lamps for sale if that's more your style, but they look oddly like this one with the base taken off and taped to a helmet. This lamp is gray but produces light that contains almost all, if not all, the colors of the rainbow. We'll include additional colors on other spectrums of light upon buyer's request. <laughs> How did that demon get on the show? Matt, you really need to uh, <laughs> pay for a spot. <laughs> the 
they, uh, we do not discriminate based on demonic origin, race, really class, uh, gender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we are, you All know, right. we're very progressive. I'm here. satisfied with that. Great. All right. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I accept that answer. <laughs> so what's going on with this trivia? Dr. Ray made a repair that in hindsight was probably pretty foolish. I gave you three choices. Nobody chose A, that he got a Vincent Van Gogh painting of himself worth $50 million. I want to uh, change used... my, uh, my answer to A because oh. Matt said something off air that made me think it is A. Okay. <laughs> You're allowed to change. You're always allowed to change. I always give you the option to switch because yeah, I'm uh, it. I'm this it. isn't Jeopardy. Okay. This is, this is more casual. Allie's switching to A. Jen, are you going to stick with B? Uh, that he made a curtains out of uh, Marilyn Monroe's famous dress? Yes. And so we are leaving C on the table that uh, Dr. Ray repaired his computer, his office computer, with a prototype of the Atari 2600 motherboard. Yes. Answers locked. Answers locked. Ready to go. The correct answer is the Van Gogh painting, choice A. Oh. Allie gets it right. He let it after slip. A- After a switch. Very perceptive of you, Allie. (laughs) I was, you you did hone in on a clue that I had said off air. I'll say this. I did research into all of these scenarios in the course of crafting the fake scenarios. So there's a little bit of truth in each. There's a little bit, not not necessarily truth, but like, you know, I had to learn the circumstances of uh, Marilyn and Atari and and things of that sort. But like what I was going to say was that Van Gogh is like just a super fucked up person who is Mm. just like a totally tormented person who i believe like you know is you know a genius painter but probably nobody cared about him or his work in its own time i mean this doctor was like van gogh made a picture of you and he's like fuck this throw it in the trash or throw it in the chicken coop like that's how like ignored he was in his time and so and i and then i also learned you know i don't know anything about art history i guess van gogh also killed himself so he's like cutting off body parts shooting himself with a gun and now years later we you know we look at him as as this genius it's it's so interesting like what asshole do you know in your life that uh will one day be uh well i I generally swipe left on them so it's hard to say (laughs) (laughs) all right well speaking of assholes i think it's time for no i'm just kidding (laughs) not a good segue no we have the opposite of an asshole he's trying to fight the assholes that's that's true (laughs) that's true that's true we have with us a youtuber known as tronics fix his real name is steve porter he is a fixer please welcome steve to the show thank you so nice to have you here yeah it's great to be here can you please break down for us in your own words first of all what is right to repair well, basically, you probably have an iPhone and multiple other, you know, computers, devices, whatever. And in the olden days, it used to be that you could just go to a little shop downtown or wherever and get those repaired. And it's becoming very difficult to do that. Manufacturers would rather see you buy a new product versus repair your old one and get it going for longer. And we see this in not only the the small personal devices you have, but even up to like John Deere with their tractors. And it's becoming a huge problem because lots and lots of people just want to keep using what they already have. But unfortunately, If you take it to a repair shop, a lot of the repair shops can't get parts or they can't get repair information to find out the best way to fix it. So um, most of the fixers out there are just kind of doing their best on their own. So the right to repair is people trying to fight back against that and create laws that basically force manufacturers to let us buy parts, let us get the repair information we need so we can provide this service to people who are looking for it. Okay, so before we get more into all of that, what is your background? 
My background is in repair. I actually started repair back when I was a kid. I lived on a 400-acre alfalfa ranch out in Central Oregon. And we lived about 80 miles away from the closest place we could buy parts or get anything repaired. And when you're trying to get up a, a crop of alfalfa hay, for example, you don't have days. You have, you know, it could rain the next day and rain ruin can not, not necessarily ruin it, but make the market price of the hay much lower. So it's very important when it's time to get that hay out of the field, you have to get it done like now. You can't wait for a couple of days. So um, if a piece of equipment broke down, we had to get it fixed ASAP and however we could. So that's kind of like, that's kind of how I grew up. That's my mindset. And that's why I definitely back the right to repair. And let's give these people, whether it's a farmer or just somebody with a phone, all the access they need to, you know, fix their stuff. Wow, that's so cool. And how did that spawn a business and a YouTube channel for you? That story is a very long story. I'll try and condense it down <laughs> as much as I can. My wife and I, we moved back in with my wife's parents. Her dad got sick and we live far away. So we wanted to, to live closer. And so we basically um, quit our jobs and moved in with them. That wasn't necessarily what we wanted to do, but you know, housing was super expensive and stuff like that. And so while we were there, we, we obviously needed jobs. So we're like, okay, whoever gets the best job after first will take the job and the other one will stay home with our son. And so she happened to get the best job offer. So I was a stay at home dad then. And I've always been a fixer, as I said. So I started looking for, you know, ways to make money on the side. And so I started buying broken stuff from eBay or Goodwill or wherever I could find and trying to fix it. And that just kind of kept growing as I learned more and more. And it, it grew into an actual business. And what's the goal with your YouTube channel, Steve? Because it seems like, you know, you're really trying to empower people, like maybe even start their own businesses. So just, I guess, give people an idea of like, what are all the things you're covering on there? And what's kind of the goal of it? Yeah, sure. I had started a repair shop, like I said, and mainly just fixing um, game consoles. And I wasn't, I mean, I was familiar with YouTube as a viewer, but not really a creator. So, but I was always interested. So I figured why not film this, this video of this specific repair on a PS4, the HDMI port and, you know, do my best to edit. I had no idea how to edit. And so I did that and just kind of threw it up. And then, you know, people kind of started watching and, and I didn't really have a point to it other than number one, to show people how to fix something. Number two, maybe I could eventually make money at this someday. I'm a, I'm a fixer and as well as a business person, I'm very business entrepreneurial minded. So I kind of threw it up there just to kind of see what it does. I'm constantly experimenting with different businesses or different ideas. And that was just, uh, you know, one of those. And so that's kind of where it started. And now my point of it is, yes, definitely business. You know, um, it's great to be doing something where I can film videos and, and then my wife helps me as well. So it's all stay at home. And so we get to make money staying at home and doing something we enjoy. So definitely business and as well as, yeah, empowering people to learn how to fix things. I didn't go into it thinking I would be some sort of inspiration for someone to fix something, but I get a lot of those comments like, hey, you, your channel's inspired me to you know, try to fix stuff or get a job in repair or whatever. So that's, that's become one of the points of it as well. So looking at the right to repair overall, what are the primary ways that companies prevent consumers from being able to just fix it themselves? 
two things come to mind. One is there's literally zero repair information for, for example, PS4s or Xboxes or Switches. Those are all things I, I built a business repairing. So I had no guidance from any of the device manufacturers. You just have to take it apart and try and figure it out. Number two is they don't provide any parts. They don't give you any guidance on parts. I have stacks of Nintendo Switches, of PS4s, of Xboxes that either one, I can't get parts for, or two, I have to steal parts from other broken devices in order to fix that (laughs) device. So I have literally thousands of dollars worth of these devices just sitting on the shelf because I can't buy the parts for them. It's really interesting to me that the devices are proprietary and the knowledge is locked, but the repair knowledge has become open source of like, oh, just going to crack it open. And if I find out information about a part, I'm going to share it online. And I assume part of your process when you encounter a new device is like, what have other people already uncovered and, and, and knowledge sharing? Is that is that fair? Yeah, that's definitely fair. And when I first started my repair business, there was very little on YouTube about PS4s, Xboxes, because the PS4 had just come out when I started. Mm -hmm. So even then it was like, well, let's crack it open and see (laughs) if I can figure something out. You know, you start, you know, heating stuff up to reflow the solder balls or replacing random things and eventually start kind of figuring it out. And that's when YouTube really comes into play, especially now there's a lot of repair channels out there now. And they're just out there showing what they do, how to fix it. And that's come in so handy so many times. And there's also things like Facebook groups and stuff like that, where we all try to kind of just share our knowledge. And together we, you know, provide an atmosphere where we can all learn how to fix this stuff because that's the only choice right now. Yeah. So what are some of the other major ways that the companies prevent this? So I know there's things with warranties and then things that will make your warranty ineligible. Um, We were reading about how, you know, going back to farming, that some of the equipment can actually track if you've tried to repair it yourself and then the whole thing shuts down. So what are the various shitty things (laughs) that companies and manufacturers are doing to Fuck it all up. <laughs> yeah. You, so you mentioned the uh, warranty stickers. So, I mean, that's a super simple one that is not necessary. It used to be that on the back of a PS4, the sticker actually said warranty void if removed. That's actually illegal to even even suggest wait, that. Wait, You're allowed... Just if like the sticker falls off? Yeah, if the sticker wasn't there or if they could tell you removed it, they'd be like, sorry, warranty's not valid anymore. What? And that's so. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, completely agreed. So eventually, uh, I, I think about two years ago, the FTC finally stepped in and said, hey, you can't do that. And so then they finally just put start putting black stickers on the back. So which I mean, it's fine. It covers up the screw, but that's fine. You know, it's not a big deal. I think people can just take the sticker off and open it, you know. So, I mean, that's that's one of the first things that comes to mind is like they're trying to prevent people from even considering opening something up, you know, and, and that's just ridiculous. Yeah. And what are the excuses that they use? I mean, I assume it's that they like their proprietary technology or something like that. But are there other things around like safety? Like what, what do the companies have to say the reason is for all this? Yeah, um, some of the primary reasons. One of them is they claim that inexperienced repairs will be fixing their stuff, which sometimes is true. I mean, you can have people start a business and say, hey, I can fix this stuff. And they really can't. But that's a ridiculous excuse when there's a lot of very incredibly qualified people. Uh, one of the names that comes to mind, and you guys may have had know about this, but Lewis Rossman is 
the best MacBook repair technician I know of. He's got a huge YouTube channel and a big voice in the right to repair. And he fixes things on a regular basis that people have taken to the Apple store to get their computer fixed. And they say, oh, not fixable. You have to replace the motherboard. It'll be $1,800. That's just a random example. You know, I, I don't know the numbers. But instead, they'll take it to him and he'll be and he'll just look at it you know, diagnose it and say, yeah, this, you know, $20 part is bad or, you know, his time is valuable. Sometimes it costs $200, whatever the case is, Uh, but it's totally fixable. It's just a matter of the fact that the Apple store, A, probably doesn't want to fix it. They want to, they want to put in a whole new motherboard or or whatever. And B, they don't want to be training all of these repair people that in depth. And so Mm -hmm. instead of doing that, they just say, sorry, can't repair it. You can trade it in for a new one. You can replace the motherboard for whatever the price is, but it can't. It's not fixable when it actually is fixable. I'm getting so mad and inspired. (laughs) (laughs) So, who are the biggest culprits? We assume Apple. Apple's been mentioned. (laughs) Who else? Yeah, I mean, pretty much, um, basically all huge manufacturers. You know, Apple, Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft. You know, they all have a big part in this, and I'm assuming a lot of the smaller ones too. You know, I, I name the big ones because those are the ones I know a little bit about. But there's very, very few manufacturers who say, "Yeah, let's help people repair this." Um, I, I know, um, as an example, Patagonia, the clothing company. They've teamed up with iFixit to provide repair guides for their clothing. So if your button comes off of your pants or your jacket and it's a Patagonia brand, you can go to iFixit and look at and learn about how to fix it yourself. And that sort of a thing is a very obvious, easy thing manufacturers could do to help people be able to fix their stuff instead of saying, well, you know, just throw it away or send it to us to recycle and buy a new one. Since the right to repair is, you know, not doing so well, uh, what happens to all these parts instead? Like how much of it, How do you know how much the company companies recycle or reuse versus how much just ends up at a landfill? Like what's going on? Yeah, I know that, for example, Apple's, you know, we talked a little bit about Apple. I know that they are doing a lot of recycling, which is definitely a good step. My problem with their recycling program is they're taking devices that could be fixed or even just reused, even as is, and they're recycling those instead of letting people use them. Um, So, I mean, that's frustrating. There's As far as I know, I don't know of any major programs from Sony or Microsoft for recycling. I don't know of any major, you know, advertising pushes or anything like that. But really what it comes down to for me is, you know, you look at the individual household, how many people have, you know, old phones or old game consoles or old whatever it is just sitting in their closet that's broken. They're going to go through their closet. They're just going to go toss it or possibly donate it somewhere, but probably just throw it away, especially phones, old phones, you know, they're just junk. As far as most people are concerned, they upgrade and and don't think about it. So unfortunately, there's no push for the average consumer to try and fix it themselves. But second of all, you know, if there's more repair from information out there, then it would be easy to just say, I'll just take it down to the local shop and have them fix it. And, and, you know, still use it or give it to my son or give it to someone who could use it. Yeah. I mean, most of the time when I get rid of my tech, it's not because I 
want to, it's because it's it stops working and there's no other option. Yeah. Right. So I have an iPhone 7 Plus right now. And, you know, it's it's getting to be where the battery doesn't last as long. And I'll probably replace the battery. But unfortunately, it's first of all, not. I mean, the batteries are definitely fixable, but they're definitely hard to get. And the only repair information out there is from YouTubers or iFixit or something like that. There's no I mean, how hard it would be for would it be for Apple to just publish a little guide on this is how you take it apart to replace the battery because it's not going to last forever. So and then, you know, provide a, a part a, a factory part for it. And it's uh, yeah, it's disheartening. There must be a spreadsheet somewhere that where Apple looks at that thing you just described and said, OK, we could sell a lot of proprietary batteries and, and make them available to the consumer. And that would then mean less, we would have to pay less people to work at the Genius Bar, theoretically. There's an argument for that. Or in this column of the spreadsheet, we know that, yes, we're going to have to pay a few more salaries at the Genius Bar, but we can upcharge, you know, ridiculous amounts slash people are just going to buy new phones. And then therefore, we're going to go with column B because there's clearly a market incentive and the consumers are willing to just say, I could research this or... I'm too scared to fix it myself slash, hey, I'll just pay the extra 200 bucks and get a shiny new phone. Like I, most people don't have your superpower to, to just know how to do it or, or take the yeah. time. So what, what do you advise the average consumer to do if they're just not handy they're, or they're not, they're not brave enough? Uh, speaking for myself, yeah. I am not brave enough to crack <laughs> open a switch or a phone. I just, I, I'm just not. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm totally realistic about the fact that lots and lots of people that just either aren't interested or just don't have the skill. And I, I totally understand that. And I mean, my opinion is that, first of all, there are a lot of good third party repair shops around. Mm-hmm. You know, you Google it, you can find them. And, you know, that that's one of the best options, in my opinion, if you're not interested in learning how to fix it um, yourself and place it now. I do. I I can't say that I think Apple's completely wrong or bad with their recycling because I think it is important for a manufacturer if they're going to manufacture, say, my iPhone in my hand. If my battery just goes out or the battery life is running low or whatever, and I want to get a new phone, it's way better to say, "We'll bring in your old phone. We'll give you some money for it, and we'll recycle it for you." That I commend. That that's a good thing, in my opinion. Um, and then, you know, give me some credit on a new one or whatever the case is. So, I mean, that's definitely not the worst option. It's better than just throwing it out or, you know, whatever. But also, if manufacturers made devices that are meant to last longer, and you guys may have heard about the whole fiasco with Apple where they were purposefully slowing people's phones down, yeah. you know, a few years into owning it, that sort of a thing is just ridiculous. So speaking of that, a fiasco with Apple. What are the different organizations that are, you know, working towards the right to repair? Are there actions that consumers can take? You know, I know it might sound silly, but are there petitions that can be signed? Um, what's what's what are the different facets of, you know, maybe trying to convince these companies, tech, agriculture, uh, everywhere just to, um, you know, behave better, especially since I assume there'd be very positive environmental impacts? Yeah, ultimately, I think iFixit is probably on the forefront of this movement. If you go to repair.org, you can sign up and help out any way you can. Obviously, money always helps, but it also comes down to 
helping get laws passed, which is extremely difficult when there's very well-funded companies sending lobbyists out to any right to repair bill that that they try and get passed if there's, you know, these well-funded people coming in and saying this is a bad idea for whatever reason. So any way that you can be in contact with iFixit, the right to repair or repair.org. And when they send out any sort of email saying, hey, contact your lawmakers and, you know, oppose this bill or, you know, sign this petition for this bill, then that's going to be one of the most helpful things. And obviously just awareness. There's so many people out there that just have no clue that this is even happening. And so, you know, anything that you can do to be more aware is going to help. Yeah, it's funny because like I always thought that this issue was really annoying and weird, but I had no idea there was a movement to do anything about it. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's been nice for us to learn and hopefully other people (laughs) will go to repair.org. Yeah. Another thing too is I used to be a mechanic. I went to college for automotive technology. And so I was working in, in an independent repair facility and now, the automotive industry, they do have some right to repair laws already passed. So mechanics can go and look at wiring diagrams, look at repair manuals that are from the manufacturer, and we can go to the manufacturer and buy parts or you know OEM parts directly from the manufacturer. And mm-hmm. that's just huge being able to do that. And for some reason, those laws, and I haven't looked into those laws and to, so I know why, but those laws don't translate into the electronic you know, devices, which is super frustrating. If if all it took, if all there was is just the same laws for, you know, fixing your electronic devices, that'd be huge. I obviously agree with you that those laws should translate. But I think the reason is because like, you better fix my car with the exact right parts because I'm going to die if you do not (laughs) fix it. The the absolute perfect, like you, my mechanic must have access to the blueprints because otherwise, how can I get in my car? So it's not life or death with your iPhone, but I, but obviously, certainly agree with you that, that that should carry over to other devices. Yeah, for sure. I was wondering, you know, there's these uh, different advocacy groups working towards the right to repair. In what ways are tech or other companies pushing back and lobbying against that and, you know, claiming that it's not a great idea for health and safety or whatever? Yeah. So any anytime uh, right to repair legislation is introduced in any state, they send as many people as they can or, you know, their lawyers in to comment on it to say why it's a bad idea. Obviously, these companies have basically unlimited amounts of money to do that. Whereas the repair community, we don't have that. When you have all these funds to just send whoever you want to every single hearing and just squash it before it can even really be heard, then obviously it's going to be pretty tough to win that, that fight. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about our devices. So, you know, our, our phone's on the fritz or whatever. We turn it off, we turn it on, it's not working. Um, <laughs> what mainstream tech items do you think are the easiest to repair? Uh, first of all, that's a great move to turn it off and back on again. <laughs> <laughs> um, the easiest to repair? Boy, I'm not actually really sure the easiest to repair. Game consoles definitely have an advantage because they're not all glued shut. They still have screws in them. And so those are definitely on the easier side. I actually think a lot of personal small appliances a lot of times really aren't that hard to repair. For example, I got a, uh, someone gave me this free toaster once and it was a nice toaster. 
And it just, you know, when you push it down to put, keep the bread and it wouldn't stay down. And all I found, all I had to do was clean it out. Cause there's just a little magnet that held that uh, handle ah, down cleaning. and just got covered in breadcrumbs. Mm, so. Even I could do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. I thought you were going to say there's a, there's a microprocessor in this toaster yeah, that no, connects to the internet. Like and it's that was back in the old, the olden days, a couple years ago before they uh, had, you know, Wi-Fi connected toasters. <laughs> You heard it here. Stop being disgusting and your appliances will work better. <laughs> and then which devices are the most difficult to repair where you'd be like, ah, just take that to somebody else immediately. <laughs> My last video was about um, GoPros and GoPros used to be fairly repairable. But the new ones that they've come out with are just glued shut completely. And there are a few screws on the inside. And but it's super hard to get to them. And just the average person is never going to be able to do that. I've been repairing devices for electronic devices for five years now. And it, it's really hard for me to even fix that stuff just because you have to, you know, heat and pry and all this stuff to get the front cover off, which is then kind of bent from the heat. And then you have to try and put it all back together. It's never going to be waterproof again. And those kind of things are super frustrating. Even things like the new iPhones, they're pretty difficult to repair. I have an iPhone 11 Pro that I put a new screen on. Um, and even though it was an Apple screen, it still comes up with an error or not an error, but a notification saying that the screen was not repaired properly or something similar. I don't remember the exact words. And that's super frustrating because the screen is the perfect screen. It works fine. Everything's good. But Apple knows that it was not a screen that they put on. But that's the software talking to the hardware. So not only do you have to get in there with your tools, but you have to be a computer hacker to force the OS to recognize a screen. Like that's next level stuff that I, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what you do. Yeah. And then this doesn't even touch on the subject of all of the Apple's security features, which for the most part, I like. I love security. But at the same time, you can't buy a secondhand phone where someone's forgot the password on and just reset it. You know, imagine if you bought a car and you for you sold it and they lost the keys. And so they just <laughs> couldn't get into their car and they had to be recycled, you know, a $50,000 car because nobody had the keys anymore. You know, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I love that comparison. And yes, it's bonkers. Um, yeah. What do you think about places like Back Market? Because I bought a refurbished phone off there last year and I have mixed feelings. Do you have feelings? Um, I actually didn't even know about Back Market until last week. And so I, I don't really have an opinion on them specifically. If there's a company that's providing high quality refurbished products, I'm all for it. I love that idea. But honestly, it's difficult to make that business work just because of all of the problems that we've already discussed. Yeah, it's just so hard because since they make it so difficult to repair, then it's like whenever you go to a repair place, it somehow seems sketchy, right? Like, are they screwing you <laughs> yeah. over? What is this? Mm. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it's yeah. not normal. Yeah, exactly. And the part of the problem, too, is since there's a lot of, of parts that you can't buy from the manufacturer... But then the manufacturer is telling you, if this company doesn't use OEM parts, then they're going to be inferior. So the only option repairers have sometimes is to use parts not from the manufacturer because the manufacturer won't sell them. But in most cases, those parts are still at least as good as came from the manufacturer. Not in all cases, but in most cases. Where is Right to Repair most active online? Is it YouTube? I know you mentioned Facebook groups earlier. Are you seeing it on Reddit? 
As far as the right to repair movement, repair.org, iFixit, most people that work for iFixit are somehow involved in the right to repair because that's just one of their huge things is the right to repair. That's what they're all about. I don't want my channel to be about the right to repair, but I also want to really support it and get people aware of it. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to do repair, kind of like repair entertainment that attracts a large viewership and then also mention some of that. So then people who might not think of it get exposed to it. I totally get it. People want to just see the guts and see what's inside yeah. uh, a PS4. And these are like 30, 40 minute videos of just looking at guts and it's it's beautiful. Yeah, some of them some of them are pretty long. I try and keep them as short as possible to keep the the viewership up, the average view duration. Um but there's I didn't I didn't realize this when I started. I for sure know it now, but there's a lot of people interested in watching someone try and fix something. And I, I didn't realize that, but that was one of the breakthroughs of my channel when I bought I don't I think it was about eight Nintendo Switches that were broken and I just went through and tried to fix them on camera and I it just blew me away how many people wanted to see that stuff so then I started um not necessarily transitioning my channel but transitioning a little bit more towards the entertainment aspect of it cuz I'd done mostly just hey this is how you repair this thing mm -hmm. and now I've I'm trying to turn it into like, I bought all this stuff. Let's see if I can fix it. So I'm showing all the fixes still, but I'm doing it in a, a little bit more interesting, entertaining way, I hope. And yeah. I've yeah, there's a lot of people that really enjoy watching that and they learn a lot of stuff from it. So I, I'm loving it. So we have a question from our Discord server from Almost Shorely, who also suggested today's show topic. So thank you. His question for you, Steve, is how do you feel about the cost of sourcing parts? He says for some of the older systems he works with, they aren't worth fixing because some of the parts cost as much as a new machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, unfortunately, as I already mentioned, some parts just aren't available. I have, like I said, stacks of PS4s or Xboxes that... I have just to harvest parts off of so I can fix other things. So, you know, it's not just a matter of the parts cost. It's a matter of I literally can't fix this device without stealing the part from a different motherboard, mm -hmm. uh, which is super frustrating. But then when you do bring in the, the cost of a part, then that turns as far as a business perspective it turns the repair as a business into something that costs a lot more because I just can't offer it at, at a cost that I think is fair because the part costs so much money. And so from a business perspective, it gets extremely frustrating. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. To wrap up today, uh, we're wanting to know what do you hope comes out of the whole right to repair movement and the efforts that you're making to hopefully advance that? Yeah, I, I hope that at some point in the future, if I have, let's just use the PS5, for example, if I have a PS5 here and I need one of the little chips on the motherboard, I hope in the future I can go to some website, even if it's Sony's own website, and buy that part for whatever it costs, five bucks, sometimes more, and have it ordered, it's sent to me, look up the maybe the schematic of it, and then just fix it with that part that I bought for $20 or $5. It's much more of a fun job when I have everything I need to do the job. Sounds like a dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Steve, so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. God, does anyone else feel like the world is just so fucked? 
<laughs> so you know greedy I mean? and fucked, yeah. Every time, man, we can't have nice things, you know we what I mean? Without a few conglomerates ruining the whole thing. Uh, yeah. Yep. Exactly. So frustrating. Exactly. I know. And also, I, like, want these mom and pop repair shops, like... You know, support small business. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I want to support small business, yeah, but I literally support, wouldn't know where to go. Support mom, support pop. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's so fucked up. It feels like just so motivated by the wrong reasons, and it's not to our benefit. And yeah, it also just fucks up your life and is bad for the environment. I'm just seeing like piles of phones sitting on a you know somewhere like out in the world, like millions of those. I have two, I have two to three cell phones at home that I still don't know what to do with, and then two to three laptops that are just in my storage space. So it's pretty bad, guys. Well, I think today it would be great if our listeners went to repair.org and checked some shit out. There's actually a really cool map that shows you where uh, right to repair bills have in- been introduced so you can call your senators. So there's some concrete actions we can take out of this little epi ep. Yes, we can. <laughs> I just um, was playing with epi ep as a thing and I don't think it works. I don't, I don't think, think so it's either. So it's like yeah. epi pen. I can, I can like get epi pen, a little bit like epilepsy. It's like, what are we talking about? You know? Yeah. What about epi ep? Epity I like Epity like better. Thank you so much for workshopping that with me, Matthew. I think we got there. All right. So you can tweet at me at Junebugger. I'm at Allie Gold. I always spell mine and then I'm like, oh, Jen didn't spell hers. So I was like, should I dive in with spelling hers? J-O-O-N-B-U-G-G-E-R and I'm A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D. I've always sensed that disappointment and I will spell mine that, henceforth. No, I just, it's not, it's not the disappointment. It's just like. Am I um, like a tiny little asshole? You know? If anyone needs theirs spelled, it's Jen's because it's, it's not how you think. Because yeah. Junebugger's like, what? You know, because people are like, is it That's J-U-N-E? You know, That's I think a lot of people, a lot of yeah. people might be tweeting at the month bugger and she's like, who the That's fuck That's true. Like, Shit. Happening? Yeah. Right, so it's J-O-N-B-U-G-G-E-R. Get up in her tweet, tweets. I'm tweet, just, her sorry, Twitter I'm just plotters. Googling. I'm no. Googling now. J-U-N-E bugger has 400,000 followers. Fuck and that you've, bitch. you've missed everything. Wow. Oh my no, God. I'm just kidding. Maybe all my tweets have been going to them. Yeah. yeah that's, that's what I'm what saying. I'm oh, saying. Damn it. Girl, damn it, guys. Can't keep up. That's what oh, we're sorry. saying. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> you can email us at 2G1podcast. I'm not going to spell it for you, but I'll say it again 2G1podcast at gmail.com. You can also text us. Please text us. We love that. Or, and or leave us a voicemail. Love that even more. That phone number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. And join our Discord server. Today's show came directly out of our Discord server. We want to hear from you. Discord.gg slash 2G1P. Allie, if they want to contribute, what do they do? Please go to patreon.com slash 2G1P. There are perks at all different levels. Every dollar is really helpful because in general, we're artists and also pandemic. So, yep, that's happening. Patreon.com slash 2G1P. All right, folks, repair your shit. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Bye.
a Sonic universe. <laughs>